All right, all right. Thank you for joining me in this episode of The Gospel Truth. I'm your host, Warner Wilson, and thank you for staying with us until we got everything situated. I do appreciate you. As always, I do want to encourage you to go ahead and like and follow The Gospel Truth. Make sure you hit that like, subscribe button so you can stay in the loop with The Gospel Truth has going on. You don't want to miss out on any shows that are coming up here in the future. Um, all this content is on all the social media platforms, for the most part, anyway. Uh, we're on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter and Instagram so make sure that you're flown over there to support the, the, the ministry with a like a follow or subscribe whatever you have to do and that also allows you to stay in the loop with what the gospel truth has going on because once again you don't want to miss out on anything also all this content is on podcast so make sure you're flown to the podcast iTunes Google Play Stitcher Spotify make sure you're doing that so you can support the ministry with a follow subscribe please do that as always I do have some shows that are coming up here in the future and I would like for you to know about. All right, uh, tomorrow, actually, I have an interview with Dr. Jason Lyle discussing Dr. Jason Lyle's book, Fractals, The Secret Code of Creation. So this is interesting because I don't know a lot about fractals, so I am interested to see what's going on with this. Um, and I think it'll be a very educational. I think it'll be a very enlightening discussion. So I'm looking forward to Dr. Jason Lyle coming back on. He's been on, um, uh, he's been on, I think, a couple, a couple months ago he came on like three months ago he came on and we talked about the importance of understanding genesis um and so i'm actually looking to set him up with uh in a debate or discussion uh maybe with an old old earth creationist or theistic evolutionist the only thing is is that dr jason lyle he only does phds so uh it's a real fine a real uh small barometer of people i can choose from so i'm looking forward to setting him up after that, it's the angel of Yahweh, also Yahweh. I have Taylor Stewart and Jeremy Wong. They go jump into the octagon, the Gospel Truth octagon, to battle this one out, man. That should be an exciting one. Jeremy Wong is actually a Patreon of the Gospel Truth, so I appreciate him for his support of the ministry. Then after that, I have is God one person. Um, I have Matt Slick versus Carlos Xavier. That's coming up Tuesday, September 14th at 5 p.m. Uh, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure you're subscribed. You don't want to miss out on that one. And then lastly, is once saved, always saved. True. I have Tanner Adams versus AK Richardson. AK's been on before. This is be Tanner's first go around with the gospel truth. So I'm looking forward to this debate. So make sure that you are staying in the loop. Once again, don't hesitate. If you're on this channel and you are not subscribed to this channel and you're just viewing it, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Don't hesitate in doing that. Please do not hesitate. Now, that said, I do want to bring these guys in. I have Mark Stanley. Mark Stanley was one of the first ones, man. You know, you know, everybody has a beginning, right? You know, God's truth first started doing debates. Mark Stanley was one of the first ones, man. So he's one of the, he's a vet. You know, he's been in the God's truth family for quite a time, man, quite a time. And Benjamin Duncan, he's been on before too. And he he's not he he wasn't from the from the beginning, but he came on and he debated Joshua Olson. If you remember that debate, I'll be posting both of their debates in the live chats. So make sure that you check those debates out and don't hesitate in doing so. That said, let me bring these guys in so they can introduce themselves. How's it going with you guys? How y'all doing? Good. Thanks, Marlon. Good, good, good. I thank you guys for joining me on the Gospel Truth, man. I appreciate you very much, man. And it's exciting times, man. As, you, as I was telling you, Mark, uh, this is my first debate uh, since coming back from the old sabbatical paternity leave. So I've been looking forward to it, and I'm excited for that. So at this time, I'm going to allow you guys to give a chance to introduce yourself to the audience, somebody out there that don't know you. So start with Mark, if you don't mind. Go ahead and give a quick introduction to yourself, man. Thanks. Uh so my name is Mark Stanley. I uh, come from Northern California. 
Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad was a pastor, uh, still is. Um, I, I got a classical education from my high school. Uh, then I went on to the Master's University, which is John MacArthur School uh, in Southern California, and got a bachelor's degree in biblical studies. Uh, I'm actually in my last semester right now of a master's degree in philosophy from uh, Talbot School of Theology, which is Biola's uh, school. So almost done with a master's degree in philosophy and uh, loved every second of it. I, I have a, a podcast I should probably mention. <laughs> this is a good time to mention stuff like that uh, called uh, Well-Read Christian. We talk about literature, philosophy, Christianity, worldview, uh, and it's geared towards anyone who's interested in living the well-examined life. So uh, people who want to think deeply about things. We, we read a lot of Dostoevsky, Nietzsche, uh, and, and we talk about uh, profound truths and arguments and, and how they can and how they should uh, interact with us in, in beautiful ways. All right, cool. Thank you, Mark, for that introduction. Um, let me check on Benjamin, make sure he is good. Are you good to go to give an introduction, Benjamin? Sure. All right, you got it. Uh, you want to give a quick introduction to yourself? Yes, my name is Benjamin Duncan. I've been a Christian critic now for oh, nine years or so. And I've been a secular humanist somewhat longer than that. I graduated from the with an associate's degree from the prestigious college called North Central Michigan College. It's a community college in Petoskey, Michigan. And that's kind of the area I'm from. I'm from the tip of the meta area, specifically, I would say about right here and uh, that general area. And I'm a single parent. I'm not a single. Well, I'm a single parent of uh, one 19 year old. And I had my girlfriend and I uh, recently uh, had a, a newborn. So he's about a month old and I'm more excited about that. And the lateness of this uh, pod, podcast is entirely this guy's fault. I could explain it to you if you wanted a long, long explanation but it'd be tragic sounding so that's all all right cool guys thank you so much once again for jumping on here man we about to jump into this man so once again the topic is what is the best explanation for morality and this is going to be more of a have an open discussion but we're going to start it off with a 10 minute opening statements we're going to follow that with five minutes rebuttals and then we're going to have a 40 minute cross-examination or more of an open discussion rather and then we're going to follow that with uh, five minute closings and some q a from the audience sounds good all right, cool. All right, Mark, you're up first. So let me know when you're ready and ready. I will start your time. I'm ready. All right, Thanks. you got it for 10 minutes. So the position that I want to defend uh, is a position called moral realism. And what that basically means is that I really think there's such a thing as right and wrong. Uh, I think that you're making a true statement when you say something like adultery is wrong or greed is a vice. And I think that you're making a true statement when you say something like self-sacrifice is good, or tending to the needs and desires of others is good, and kindness and generosity are, are virtues, that kind of thing. And moral realism stands in contrast to views like relativism, where the good is defined as uh, what the group votes on or, or, or what the majority in a, in a, you know, a culture uh, might think. On relativistic or social contract views, the moral standard is defined as whatever is popular, whatever is accepted. Uh, and so, for example, if in the United States people think that women should have the same freedoms and opportunities as men, then that's right for us. Uh, and if you ask the question, 
is a right for women to have the same rights and opportunities. If you're an American, you say yes. But if you're in the Taliban, uh, you believe that women are second rate citizens or creatures and, and, and that's right for them. And so if you ask them, uh, hey, do you think women should have the same rights and freedoms as women? They say no. And that's that's the correct answer uh, for for their perspective, because what makes relativism true or excuse me on relativism, what moral truth is, is a reference to whatever the society or group or relative structure believes, because morality is a kind of social construction on relativism, for example. Uh, another kind of view, which I suspect my opponent holds, is a version of subjectivism where right and wrong is simply an expression of taste. Uh, I may like chocolate ice cream and you may like vanilla ice cream, but there's no truth value to the question of whether chocolate is the true flavor. I mean, true flavor doesn't even make any sense. It's, it's a category error. So on this view, morality is a kind of preference or, or an opinion. So when you say that pedophilia is wrong, you're not actually describing pedophilia. You're describing yourself. Uh, your attitudes, your biases, your psychological states, but you're not making a truth claim. Uh, but I disagree with that. I think that when people make moral claims, uh, they're making claims about the world. Just like when you make geography claims or historical claims, or you say something like uh, human beings require blood to survive, or cats have paws, or uh, President Kennedy was assassinated. You're describing external reality uh, with these kinds of statements. And sometimes those statements are true, sometimes they're false, just like with moral claims. Uh, Moral claims can be false, they can be true, they can be, but, but the point that I'm trying to make is that they can be evaluated by reason and discerned by our intuition, and they can be known to be true or false. And so there's three reasons that I'm a moral realist. Uh, and if these motivations for accepting moral realism sound uh, right to you, then uh, you might be a moral realist as well. Uh, the first intuition that moral realists have is that the moral law is impartial. If there's an obligation, uh, for parents to feed their children, for example, then that obligation is binding no matter where you live, no matter who you are, uh, no matter what other people around you think. It doesn't matter if you're in ancient Egypt. Uh, moral obligation, the moral obligation to feed your children is still binding. Uh, if, if you're in 21st century United States or wherever you are, uh, the moral law is impartial. And so it's wrong to drown your children uh, no matter what culture you're from, no matter what justification you have, and no matter what your desires are, that's wrong. And it's wrong for all time. The second intuition that moral realists have uh, is that morality is categorical. And by categorical, uh, we mean that moral truths are true, even if you don't agree with them. They are not dependent on uh, the mind in any way. They're not dependent on uh, some kind of assent, some kind of vote. Uh, they're universal in that sense. And so it's even if everyone in the world believed that stealing was okay or sexual assault was not a big deal or uh, it's okay to judge people based on the color of their skin rather than the content of their character, uh, on my view, uh, you're really wrong. And uh, this intuition is category, or excuse me, is uh, the basis of moral realism in a way that it's not characterized by other views. The third intuition uh, that moral realists have is that there really is such a thing as evil or uh, moral, moral error. And I really want you to pay attention to this point because in discussions of meta-ethics, of, of what is right and wrong, um, it's very difficult for many moral theories to actually capture what it means to go awry uh, for relativism or something. To go awry kind of just means you're breaking the social contract. You're doing something taboo. You're doing something that the other people don't like. But that doesn't mean that it's immoral, so to speak. Uh, so only on moral realism, only on moral realism, at least I'm going to argue, 
do you have really a robust sense of evil, a robust understanding of what moral error is? Because if you're just the evolutionary byproduct of, uh, you know, homo sapien behavior, then when human beings exhibit immoral behavior, they're really just exhibiting unfashionable behavior uh, on any view other than moral realism. Basically, I, I'm going to argue that it certainly reduces to that. Uh, and a good example is that when uh, a lion kills a zebra, uh, he kills the zebra, but he doesn't murder the zebra. When a male shark forcibly copulates with a female shark, it forcibly copulates, but it does not rape the other shark. Um, and if human beings are mere animals and, and morality is some kind of construct, whether psychological or sociological, uh, then really there's no difference between animals and human beings. And it makes no sense to say that one of them is immoral, but the other is uh, a non-moral would re really be the best way to put it. Moral, excuse me, immoral acts would just be unfashionable behavior, uh, no different than belching at the dinner table or something like that. And so the non-realist has to shame that has to, the non-realist has to say that we shame murder or rape for uh, other reasons other than the fact that it's really wrong. Maybe it's bad for our long-term survival if we exhibit certain behaviors that are not socially acceptable. Uh, but heinous evil isn't really wrong. Evil on a non-realist account is just a bad word. It's it's what you want to be on the lookout for uh, to pounce on in order to try to adjust their behavior to be more like what you would prefer. But there's nothing really detestable about it. And so I want you to be on the lookout uh, for how each debater is going to characterize uh, moral error. Uh, is it just a really highly stigmatized taboo? Or are you doing something really reprehensible? Uh, have you seriously gone awry uh, when you do some unspeakable act of, of evil? Um, Oftentimes, the Holocaust comes up in conversations like this because it, uh, the Nuremberg trials said, it doesn't matter what your culture said. It doesn't matter what anyone else told you. You violated the moral standard and, and you deserve to be put to death for it or whatever the sentence he was. Uh, the last part of my view that I'm willing to defend is that I'm a uh, theistic moral realist. Uh, I'm a Christian moral realist, which means that I think the best explanation for moral phenomena is the existence of a transcendent moral lawgiver. The reason that morality is the way that it is, is because there is some foundational substance in the universe, uh, some holy, benevolent, beautiful, powerful creator who creates and sustains the world and uh, filled the earth with beautiful human beings who have obligations to each other in virtue of God's commands. We can get into the details of why I think you need God to ground or explain the objective binding moral order. But I think it suffices to say that uh, the existence of God is the best explanation for uh, how we experience moral phenomena. I want to note, though, that you don't have to be a theist or a Christian uh, to be a moral realist. Russ Schaefer Landau uh, at the University of Wisconsin is a prominent moral realist. Uh, he wrote Moral Realism, A Defense. Eric Weilenberg is another atheistic uh, thinker who is a moral realist. And perhaps on a more popular level, you may have heard of Ben Watkins. If you're listening to a debate like this, uh, you know that he's an atheist who recently debated a Catholic apologist, Trent Horn. Uh, Watkins is also an atheist and a moral realist. So I don't think their views are going to be ultimately satisfying because it's difficult for them to explain what the moral law could be if all that exists is matter in motion. Uh, 
Uh, and so people who are naturalistically inclined or atheistically inclined uh, are not usually fans of, of moral realism because it complicates their picture of the world. It's, it's hard to understand what kind of thing a moral law could be if it's not physical. So the most coherent form of moral realism is going to be a theistic one. But in closing, I want to say that there are, real quick, three, three ways to defend moral realism. The first is the reference to the explanatory power of moral realism. Those three things that I uh, cited for reasons that I defend moral realism uh, are going to make a lot more sense uh, with our experience and our intuitions. The second way to defend moral realism is to offer criticisms of anti-realist uh, views. And the truth is, is that social contract theories or subjectivistic theories just are not that good. They don't do a good job at capturing our intuitions about what morality is. Uh, and then the third thing you can do is that you can undermine objections to theistic uh, moral realism. And you can say, look, you know, yeah, you know, you've got objections, but they're just not that good when cross-examined. So I'm prepared to do that tonight. And, uh, and I thank you for your time and, uh, and your patience. And I thank Benjamin Duncan for being here and, and Marlon Wilson for the opportunity. All right. Thank you, Mark, for that opening statement. All right, Benjamin, you're up for your opening statement. Let me know when you're ready and I'll restart your time. Okay. The bell means 10 minutes or the bell means a minute left. I forgot. Yeah, one minute left. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm probably going to go over just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm ready. All right. You got it. Philosophers at one time separated all human matters into three categories, aesthetics, truth, and ethics. Truths are statements which describe objective reality. Aesthetics are matters of preference about matters such as taste, beauty, food, comfort, lifestyle, existence, etc. Ethics entail human decisions or guidelines which adjudicate internal conflicts between personal or self-serving and extra-personal or other-serving interests. My opponent and I are in agreement, at least in a matter of speaking, that the last of these categories is unnecessary. We assert the categories should be limited to two, aesthetics and truth. If the morality's characteristics do not warrant a unique category, then the phenomena must fit comfortably into one of the other categories. Morality must either be a matter of objective truth or an aesthetic preference. On this matter, my opponent and I hold opposite views. He claims that a rampage shooting is wrong is a type of truth assertion, similar to 8 plus 8 equals 16, or the rock is in the river. While I claim it is a type of blunt value judgment or intense aesthetic statement, similar to sewage is disgusting, or it is terrible to be disemboweled. Our analysis of this matter will be similar to how physicists analyze whether beams behave as waves or particles. The various examples and questions we raise will compare and contrast the properties or characteristics of ethics to the properties and characteristics of truth and aesthetics in order to reveal which phenomenon ethical thought better resembles. Do moral judgments behave as truth assertions or as matters of taste? I assert that in every way, shape, and form, the phenomenon of moral thought resembles characteristically the phenomenon of aesthetics. In other words, moral judgments depend, though not entirely, upon human value judgments or what some would call subjective preferences. They also depend upon truth warrants, but this is something I will explain in time. The reason the subjectivity of moral statements is difficult for some to grasp is because the popular comprehension of moral flaw is thought is flawed. This in itself is consistent with the phenomenon of subjective preference because the popular comprehension of all such phenomenon is flawed. 
all aesthetic standards can be differentiated as fine versus blunt. Fine preferences are typically what we think of when we think of preferences. They tend to lack intensity and differ from culture to culture and from person to person. Chocolate versus vanilla, action movies versus musicals, 68 degrees versus 73 degrees, and elastic waistband versus blue jeans fastened via a leather belt. Most people acknowledge that to choose one of these options versus another reflects a personal intrinsic preference. This recognition tends to not be granted as easily to blunt preferences. Blunt preferences tend to be nearly universal and far more intense. Chocolate ice cream versus eating sewage. A romance movie versus staring at a concrete wall for a month. A 68 degree room temperature versus negative 15 degrees. A comfortable couch versus laying on a pile of hot coals. Wearing elastic pants versus being disemboweled. Of course, not wanting to eat sewage, be imprisoned, stay in a freezing room for long periods, have third degree burns over 90% of the body, suffer from verbal pain are preferences. But because they are so nearly universal and so intense, we rarely think of them as such. Similarly, morality has a fine preference aspect that we call etiquette. Like the taste for ice cream in movies, etiquette standards differ from culture to culture, from person to person, and are not very intense. Should the F word be barred from all conversation? What about the C word or the R word or the N word? Is it a big deal to leave the toilet seat up? Should you be courteous to other motorists by turning down your car radio at a stoplight? Most can comprehend that their own answer to such questions would reveal a personal preference. On the contrary, few would comprehend that the same about their judgments pertaining to theft, criminal violence, or sexual assault. As blunt value judgments, views on such behaviors are nearly universal to all humans, save for an occasional sociopath or psychopath, and are so intense and involuntary that we lack the capacity to ignore or second-guess them. This involuntary aspect of moral value judge standards is also not unique. All conscious decisions and judgments are ultimately rooted in intrinsic, unconscious, automatic, and involuntary impetuses that are hardwired into the human mind and are not subject to deductive reasoning. Just as a typical person lacks the ability to judge that sewage is tasty or being disemboweled is pleasurable, a typical person lacks the ability to judge that school shootings are positive events. Not only is this obvious, but it's something we know through brain studies. The human brain is equipped with cells called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons cause us to interpret the perceived pain of others as though it is our own pain. Individuals hooked up to EEGs and MEGs will exhibit the same type and degree of neural arousal when exposed to imagery of, imagery of others in strife, pleasure, joy, remorse, etc. that they will exhibit when experiencing these feelings themselves. This intrinsic involuntary reaction to the pain of others is so pronounced that one can say that human beings are sympathy machines. The most common criticism of the idea that blunt moral judgments are rooted in a subjective value warrants is that we treat such judgments as incontrovertible. When a person argues against, say, a vaccine mandate, that person is going to make appeals to standards which he doesn't treat as subject to debate. Why shouldn't anyone, why shouldn't we have vaccine mandates? Because they violate human liberties. Hardly anyone in such a discussion will ask, why is it good to have human liberties? They instead treat the unspoken warrant, liberty is good, as a given. The reason this is the case is commonsensical. We treat the quote-unquote badness of homicide, theft, tyranny, and exploitation as a given because we are incapable of doing otherwise. These assertions are given, are given because sympathetic thought is hardwired into the human mind and we lack the capacity to second-guess it. This can be explained philosophically as well as psychologically. All value judgments are rooted in a standard of value. 
A standard of value is a characteristic of a mind. Declaring anything unimportant, dismissible, or frivolous would apply a value judgment. Thus, in order to judge your own value judgments as unimportant or dismissible, one has to appeal to the very mind which produces them. To say, I assert that homicide is wrong, but that is, but that assertion is unimportant, would be the equivalent of asserting, according to my standard of value, my standard of value is unimportant. This is, of course, a paradoxical statement, not unlike everything I say is a lie, or I cannot truly know anything, as it is declaring it unimportant that the standard is unimportant. Since my standard of value is unimportant is a cognitive paradox, a mind cannot think it. Some of our flawed comprehension is due to language and its legacy. Moral preferences are usually expressed as declarative sentences, the same grammatical form as truth assertions. It is wrong is almost always said instead of I find it wrong or I judge it as wrong. We say you should apologize to your wife instead of apologizing to your wife it would serve your desire to keep her happy. This suggests nothing more than the fact that our language is a legacy of pre-enlightenment thought. We verbalize moral statements is different from how we verbalize other intense aesthetic statements. For instance, we also say grandma's house stinks or we should order a pizza. I'm actually under time. <laughs> okay. Um, to, to conclude, I would say that in every way, shape, and form that uh, we're going to go over this issue, in, uh, and I'm going to end a little early, which is fantastic. Um, morality fits uh, the, I, the idea that it is a subjective preference and does not fit the idea that it is a truth assertion. In fact, I have no clue how you can even make that work. Uh, that is all. All right. Thank you, guys, both of you, for those opening statements. All right, Mark, you're up for your five-minute rebuttal. Uh, let me know when you're ready, and I will start your time. Ready. This Freddie. If Freddie. All right. Ready. You got it for five minutes. Thanks. Um, I don't know if I'll use the full five minutes uh, because, frankly, I, in some sense, would actually rather engage uh, rather than lecture. <laughs> but uh, but it's interesting to me, and hopefully this will be a, a, a primer on our conversation, that uh, Benjamin admits to the universality of certain moral judgments. Um, that's very surprising because almost always the debate centers around whether there really is such a thing as uh, judgments that are incontrovertible. Because it really sounds to me like your position is really close to mine when you say something like, nobody is capable of doubting that school shootings are bad. Um, I mean, it, honestly, in some sense, I feel like I can like relax because it's like, well, if you agree with that, then, then it really seems to me like people are making uh, truth claims and at least they think that they're making truth claims. And so then the question becomes, well, are they really making truth claims? And what I wanna say is that if it's true that everyone thinks that they're making truth claims and it's true that those truth claims obtain, then moral realism is true. And so when you say something like, you know, liberty is good is just a given because we all believe that it's unquestionably uh, true. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, uh, then where exactly are we disagreeing? Uh, because it seems to me like Duncan's position is that he's saying it's, it's, it's an incontrovertible preference. And so it's, it's like saying that we prefer sandwiches to sewage. But, but even that is, is funny to me because it seems to me like it's true that human beings are oriented in certain ways to recognize that sandwiches have nutritional value and sewage doesn't. And so you can't reduce the difference between sandwiches and sewage to mere um, 
preference. As a matter of fact, if someone preferred sewage over sandwiches, we'd say that there's something wrong with you. Uh, you, you have a slew of false beliefs. You are misformed in a certain way. Uh, something has gone awry. Uh, and, and I think that we'll be able to unpack this more, hopefully, um, in a more uh, conversational tone. One of the things I also want to say is that uh, Benjamin made a sharp contrast between truth claims and aesthetic claims. And he basically lumped ethical claims in with truth. Excuse me. He basically lumped ethical claims in with uh, aesthetic claims. Aesthetic, by the way, for those who might not know, are uh, claims about beauty. Uh, so statements like the, the sunset is beautiful or uh, this is pretty or things like that um, are, are aesthetic claims. Uh, but <laughs> what I'm sure we're going to disagree with that is that I, I also think that aesthetic claims are truth claims. And I'm going to make a distinction. And this is going to be an important distinction. I'm going to make a distinction between preference and uh, truth. Because when... Benjamin Duncan says that it's un, it's incontrovertible that school shootings are bad. I'm in some sense scratching my head because I'm like, well, someone doesn't think that school shootings are bad because they're the ones doing them. So it's not necessarily fair to say something like, well, everyone thinks that uh, school shootings are, are bad. It's like, well, not everyone. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is there a truth value to this question of whether school shootings are uh, bad or is it just a just preference and you know that guy prefers to shoot up schools in his free time and I prefer to not shoot up schools and uh, let's all just try to get along guys because there's no real truth value here uh, I just don't think that that's really doing justice to our moral sense and I think when we say things like school shootings are wrong we are really describing the thing the activity we're not reporting on our psychological states uh, so I see that I uh, am out of time, and that's going to be perfect. Oh, no, I have one more minute, but I'll give up the minute. All right, cool. All right, thank you, Mark, for that rebuttal. All right, Benjamin, you're up for your five-minute rebuttal. Let me know you're ready, and I'll start your time. I'm ready. All right, you got it for five minutes. Okay, I was mislistened to. I, I said they are treated as a given, and they are treated as incontrovertible. I didn't say that they actually are. Um, it's, but the, the idea that no one doubts their idea that school shootings are bad uh, is not consistent with your view at all. It's consistent with my view. We hold false truth assertions all the time. We get math questions wrong. Uh, in this discussion, one of us is, has a, is making a factual error. We're capable of making factual errors all the time. We're not capable of doing, or I'm not capable of doing, and you're probably not capable of doing it either, is slitting a baby's throat. So moral judgments or, or subjective value judgments, which are rooted in a, an intrinsic, unquestionable standard that you're incapable of second guessing, is completely compatible with my view. It's not compatible with yours. I can totally believe false things. You believe that I believe false things as I'm speaking right now. So I don't know where this concept comes from that, uh, that because moral judgments are true, therefore we have to believe them. I think that that doesn't even consistent with how truth works. We believe false things all the time. Uh, going back to your original, uh, your original dialogue, 
I am not a moral relativist. Uh, and this always drives people crazy when I say this. I get gasps all the time when I, whenever I mention this. Relativism is, contains the idea that morality is subjective, but it also contains the idea that we can judge or should, which is actually uh, self-refuting, uh, uh, other people's moral behavior based upon their background, their, uh, their culture, etc. So while I would say that you can uh, say that Grant, you know, Uncle Joe isn't so such a terrible person when he beats or hits uh, Aunt Margaret, because that's the way he was raised. A moral relativist would assert that I can actually say it's good that Uncle Joe hit Aunt Margaret because that's his point of view. My point of view is actually, actually that's impossible. You actually can't make that judgment because you, your, your moral assertions are rooted in intrinsic uh, standards that you're not capable of second guessing. You actually can't think with Uncle Joe's mind. So I, I would actually assert that moral relativism is actually a psychologically impossible idea. I'm also not a, a contract theory, social constructionist, I think was the word you used. Uh, the idea that if you ever watched a movie called I Am Mother, which is about uh, a robot, it's, it very, il it very uh, neatly illustrates this idea that um, we don't make moral choices at all based upon some kind of idea to try to keep the society together or, or, or you know you don't hurt me and i don't hurt you or or following these kinds of fine principles that's not how it works at all morality works upon it is based upon the human uh con the human uh, quality of sympathy that is ingrained in our minds it is not consistent it is not principled it's it's somewhat principled but it's not that principled and if you really follow this social contract theory you would probably do with a robot by a mother which means that you would uh, annihilate the entire human race and start over again because that would ultimately help more people because there's going to be more generations down the line who end up uh, benefiting from this better race of people than the one generation you obliterated. And if you watch I Am Mother, you'll see that almost no one agrees with the robot. <laughs> so that is not how our morality works. Our morality does not work based upon some social contract or some idea of you know what, whatever's best for uh, the human flourishing or whatever that is. That's not how it works. It's based upon the human trait of sympathy. It's a trait that we can't second guess, and it isn't consistent. It isn't. Uh, it's somewhat consistent, a little bit, but not that consistent. It's not based upon these principal axioms that all work in. You know, we kill pigs and throw the bones in the trash, and then we bury a dog and have a funeral. That's not consistent. Pigs are smarter than dogs. Why do you do that? Because the dog has facial characteristics that resemble babies that we've you know, read in them over time. So it's based upon sympathy. It's not based upon some kind of principle idea of how moral parts are. And most of the time, we're arguing with like, conservatives and liberals about moral issues. They're, really, they're just like they sympathize with. Conservatives sympathize maybe with a, a taxpayer having to pay a little more, and a liberal might sympathize a little more with a, an immigrant who needs healthcare. And so, you know, I often say when I'm debating conservatives about about issues that we can't agree because we're just our, our positions are rooted in different sympathies. I have a little more compassion than you because I can sympathize with this person who's a little bit more different than I am, and you have a little less. 
And there's nothing I can, I can say that can change your mind. And that's just the fact of the matter. You know, we know all the time that people are always debating things. All right, uh, all right Benjamin, that's, uh, all right. that's, that's time right there. All right, cool, guys. So now we're going to transition to our four-minute open discussion. Uh, once again, uh, 40 minutes. The only time I'll step in is if I hear, um, you know, ad hominems, uh, if we're veering off, target too, uh, off subject too much, then that's the only time I'll be stepping in. But other than that, you guys have the floor for 40 minutes. All right, I'll go ahead and uh, ask a clarifying question then. Um, one of the things you had said, Benjamin, is that uh, when you're when you're watching this uh, movie, almost no one agrees with the genocidal robot. Um, so I want to really dig down then on on your definition of of uh, morality. Are are you a non cognitivist? Would you follow someone like AJ Ayer? Uh, I, I, I don't. That... I don't go for isms, or I, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I've okay, explained okay. my position if so, you want. I don't, I don't know. Okay, so AJ Ayer's non-cognitive. When... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. That's probably better anyway. Um, so AJ AJ Ayer's non-cognitivism uh, from from Oxford. He cha he championed an idea that that when human beings make uh, truth claims, or excuse me, when they make moral claims, uh, they're not actually describing any beliefs. They're not describe. They're not making a knowledge claim. They think that they are, but they're really just describing their psychological states. And so, for AJ Ayer, if you say something like uh, "murder is wrong," you're not making a statement about murder. You're actually just reflecting your own opinions. You're just saying "boo, boo." Right. It's 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 literally as um, <laughs> it's as much of a category error to say that vanilla is the true flavor of ice cream. It's like there's no such thing as a true flavor of ice cream. That's a category error. And so A.J. Ayer's non-cognitivism uh, says that moral claims are not really truth claims. They're not even trying to. They, so they can't be false, but they also can't be true. Uh, it's, it's neither of those things. It's a category error. And, and do you think that that's, that describes your view? Uh, to a great degree. Um, they're also what we call moral um you know, moral statements aren't always just like, this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. They also follow moral prescriptions, which means you do this so to bring about that result. And that kind of involves subjective warrants. I'm sorry, objective warrants as well. But yes, I think every kind of value judgment, tasty, gross, good, bad, right, wrong, just means thumbs up, thumbs down in some context. Okay. Ugly, so beautiful, you know, ugly, beautiful, Fun, mm -hmm. boring, basically, yes. Yeah, yeah. It means so, it is wrong so means the, I find it wrong. Yeah, yeah. So the challenge that I uh, would like you to help me unpack then is um, how in the world you're going to be able to um, make any sense of anything like moral progress, moral regression. Uh, there is no distinction then between, you know, shooting up a bunch of children and shooting up a bunch of targets. Uh, th there's no... You can't even have a false belief about that because it's not actually, it doesn't have any truth value. Um, so how are you going to be able to unpack uh, any notion of moral advancement or regression or, I mean. Uh... We, we have an, an intrinsic unconscious impetus to think these things and we're incapable of second guessing it. So how do I unpack it? You can't. It okay. is impossible for you to decide to decide that your own moral judgments are frivolous. But if it's true that moral judgments can are, are judgments 
then I'm failing to see why you can't doubt yourself, right? Like, so, so if I'm, if I'm thinking about having an affair on my wife uh, with, with someone else, uh, and then I say, ah, that doesn't really sound like a good idea. That sounds immoral. Um, I'm, I'm second guessing my judgments, right? I'm going back and forth on it. I'm waffling on it. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm deliberating on it. So on your view, is there any right. such thing as moral deliberation? You're forming two different judgments about two different matters. The sex will be pleasurable is on judgment. And it's going to make my wife unhappy and I have sympathy for my wife is a separate judgment. You're not waffling on your judgment. There's two separate judgments. You follow the one that usually is more extreme or, or pulls you a little more. Because you're an abstract thinker and you have a secondary conscious, we think with words, we tend to have a better appreciation for the long term or the big picture than say uh, a non-speaking animal would have. So you're usually gonna side more often than not with the, uh, the sympathy. But those are but, two separate judgments. You're not, you, you, your, your judgment that the sex would, that cheating on your wife would harm your wife is a totally distinct judgment from the judgment that the sex would be fun. They're totally two different issues. They just happen to right, be in conflict would, because of what's happening. Right. But, but what you had said is that you can't second guess your own value structures. And what I'm trying to ask is, why not? I mean, no, you I can second guess that. your perceptions. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead then. I didn't say anything. I didn't ever use the word value structure ever. I don't even know what you mean by that. You can't second guess your own standard of value. And your standard of value about the sex is that the sex would be fun based upon that standard of value you have. And a standard of value uh, that you have about your wife's feelings is that that would hurt her feelings and you have sympathy for your wife. Those are two different uh, value standards that are going on at the same time. At least they're, and they're coming to butting heads on this one issue, but they're two separate uh, matters. I agree that there's two different values that are competing. But my point is, is that if they are values that are competing, then isn't it true that you can judge your own standard of value no. because you're saying you're not I judging. value sex, but I probably shouldn't as much as I am. And so I'm going to do something else or I value money, but I probably shouldn't steal because, because my, my judgment about the value of that money is flawed and I shouldn't value it as much as I am. Those are kind of ought statements. And on your view, you, you can't make sense of, of those kind of normative claims because they don't exist because you're not really thinking of it correctly. The, 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 your analysis of the sex is based about how pleasurable the sex is, not on whether it is right to do. Your analysis of whether it's right to do is matter. You're not second guessing anything. You're not second guessing the pleasurableness of the sex. It's a separate issue. Okay. You, you so, can judge that the thing that the, that the sex would be wrong all the that's a moral judgment. It does not make okay. that the judgment that, that this would be fun, pleasurable, not exist. So another question, uh, moral language sure sounds like it has truth value. And one of the uh, pillars of Ayer's non-cognitivism is that, uh, is that th there is no truth value. And so if I say murder is wrong, I'm just, I'm not making a statement about murder. I'm just saying boo, boo murder. Um, but it really sounds like when we're talking about moral language, uh, we're, we're using arguments, we're using reasons, uh, we're, we're, we're claiming things and counterclaiming things. And it sure sounds like truth talk. And so I'm, I'm curious why then you would uh, think that 
that there is no actual truth talk here. Okay. I didn't say that there is no truth talk. I didn't say that there is no objective, um, there are no objective warrants involved in truth assertion, uh, moral judgments, because they are involved when we make what are called, what I call moral prescriptions. So let's, let's say you made a moral prescription that says that we should, we should illegalize uh, scantily dress for women because it will encourage sexual assault. There are two warrants involved in that argument. One, one warrant is that is an objective truth assertion that the scantily clad clothing will cause sexual assault to happen. The other warrant is a subjective value judgment that being sexually assaulted is bad. Usually when we're disagreeing about moral matters, usually when people are disagreeing, they're disagreeing about the objective matter. So if we were having an argument right now about whether or not it's okay to outlaw any kind of swimsuits or bikinis, we'd, we'd probably be arguing about whether the scantily clad clothing would cause the sexual assault instead of whether the sexual assault is a bad thing. So that, so, so what I'm saying is objective truth is involved in those kinds of assertions but subjective uh, warrants are also always involved. So there's always okay, a so, subjective so, element, even if there is a, a truth element. So our debate then is about whether statements like sexual assault is wrong have truth value. And I'm, you know, I've got three steps in my position. One that, yes, it does have truth value uh, in, in that specific example. Uh, it's true. And the reason it's true is, is because of uh, a, a broader meta ethics, right? Because, God has created the universe in such a way that we have social relationships and harm, you know, harming people and hurting people is, is, is immoral and, and that kind of thing. So it seems to me though, like you're holding two positions at the same time. One is that moral claims don't have any truth value because they, they're just expressions of your preference. But at the same time, you're saying, but we all just gonna assume it in order to uh, uh, move on for some kind of pragmatic means because we all know that it's, uh, true. Like you, 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 you're even using words like objective. And I'm really confused about how those things are going together. Well, I, I don't think you're really listening. I, I'm saying that there are yeah, objective warrants involved when we, when we make a, a moral argument. Okay. So warrant that has to do with epistemic justification. So, so, so when you say warrant, I, what do you mean by that? A warrant is um, an assumed, a, a pre-assumed position that is implied by the argument. So if I say scantily clad women, uh, women shouldn't be allowed to wear scantily clad clothing because it may cause sexual assault. There okay. is a warrant there. One warrant of that would be an objective warrant, which is uh, scantily clad clothing uh, encourages sexual assault. Another warrant is sexual assault is bad. So when we're arguing about it, usually we're only arguing about that objective warrant. We're not usually arguing about the subjective warrant. And the fact that that people agree uh, commonly about these subjective warrants, like like more like you know, sexual assault is terrible, or you know, theft is terrible, or stuff like that, is not really un is not uncharacteristic of aesthetics. We also commonly agree that being gutted like a fish would be terrible. And that's not a moral statement. 
we commonly agree that going a week without sleep would be terrible. That's not a moral statement. You'll find those same statements from culture to culture, from person to person. Uh, it's terrible to eat sewage, obviously. That's not a moral statement. I don't like sewage. But we're going to agree about that culture to culture because we're the same species. You know, saying that that every in every culture and every uh, person to person, usually most people have ten fingers. That doesn't make ten fingers an objective truth. Ten fingers is a trait, and the trait of sympathy is common for all cultures and people to people because we are the same species. Right, right, but. I'm not arguing about whether we ought to have 11 figures. I'm arguing whether the word ought is intelligible. And your yeah. position is that it's not really. And, but, but what I'm saying right. is, is that when I, when I say really something mean... like, when I say something like you ought not chop people's fingers off without a good reason, which I can't ever think of why you'd have a good reason. Um, I'm really making a truth claim. And the fact that people can disagree about whether it's ever okay to fill in the blank. Right. That's a normative question. That's a question about whether abortion is right or wrong. I, I don't really care about that for, for, for this debate. What's important for this debate is whether such a thing as right and wrong exists. Mm -hmm. And my point is, is that in our perceived experience of reality, we recognize that there's a difference between a zebra killing a lion and a human being murdering another human being. And the difference is, is that there are binding moral obligations on human beings that 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 category does not apply in other realms like could, zebras couldn't that attacking be that, lions couldn't that be that the human that the human percent. victim that we're judging the human victim because we're human beings and so we sympathize more with the human victim sympathize with the zebra isn't that kind of a better maybe, explanation maybe, maybe but you'd have to make an argument for it because it's just as i just made an argument for it you're gonna sympathize better no, with you, your own species no, you, what? That's that's not an argument. That's, that's an assertion, right? You, you'd have to demonstrate why it's more reasonable to think that it's that that human beings have a universal speciesism, and and so you disagree with, with the so you disagree with the idea that a species that a certain species would sympathize more with a mammal species than another species. You disagree with that? That seems pr pretty common sense. Well, sort of. I mean, sharks eat their own young. I don't know why I have so many shark facts today. But um, I, and I think sympathy is a human trait because it's a moral trait, right? Again, sympathy, right. You, you've smuggled in a sense of, of, of morality. You, you've, you've smuggled in an idea okay. that we ought to sympathize for people. Right. I, I, I want to pause for just one second just to make sure we're getting one thing clear. Okay. At the beginning of the, uh, before we're not having a pre-discussion, you said that your, your position had nothing whatsoever to do with whether a God existed. In your introduction, you brought up God a, a, a couple times. You keep bringing him up, and but for me to continue with this line of rhetoric, I have to um, explain how human evolution is different than evolution of other creatures, and that would cause me to have to assume that evolution, or well, at least it would imply to some people that I'm assuming evolution is true in order to have this discussion. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, as I said when we were having a pre-discussion, I can make the same argument. Uh, Based upon that a God exists, that a God instilled these uh, this trait of sympathy in human beings. Okay, so my position, so just making this assumption, God instilled the trait of sympathy in human beings to be sympathetic to their babies, and not to be sympathetic to a zebra. That doesn't make anything objective. Yeah, correct. In, 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 which is which God is why, on your view, on your view, 
there's no difference between carving up broccoli and carving up babies. The difference is just the nutritional value, the social stigma, the, the, the effects that it has on the continuation of the species, et cetera, et cetera. And so moral realists uh, who, you know, there are atheists who are moral realists also want to say that, that there is a moral difference between carving up babies and carving up broccoli because you ought not to carve up babies and it's okay to carve up broccoli. And so right. that's, that's my, the kind of thing my, that you're going to have to grapple my with. Position, my, my position is that the reason we assert that is because we're incapable of doing otherwise. Because it okay. is an automatic but what I'm saying is you okay but that's clearly false because some people do carve up babies yeah and so you said you people, said that's something we can't well, doubt but people do doubt it but there are there are uh, there are aberrations in all biology we, we've we've studied this by this what's called an empathy quotient people have taken studies on on how empathetic or sympathetic they are and the empathy quotient the results of it shows a bell curve You've got most of us are kind of toward the middle of the bell curve. And then are a few, there's a few psychopaths and sociopaths down here. And then on the other hand, you have the people that are that would cry over the death of trees or something like that. Bell curves are a biological signature. You're always going to find variations. You're always going to find, you know, some people with nine fingers. You're going to find some people with 11 fingers, just like you're going to find some people that don't cry or have any reaction to. Baby so, so let me ask you this. Do, ought you be empathetic? I believe I feel that you ought to. Okay, <laughs> it's interesting that you said you were going to say but, I believe. But I have the tree anyway. I, I can't second guess it. Okay, so you're asking me to second guess my my own uh, standard of value, and that's impossible. Okay, so what I'm saying then is that on your view, there really is no difference between, you know murder and love or, or, or anything else. I mean, like you could make a, you, you could describe those things physically. You could describe those things with physics or chemistry or biology or whatever, but there is okay. no real difference between uh, putting a Jew in an oven and putting a pizza in an oven. They're, they're just different arrangements of molecules. That's your view. Objectively. Yes. Okay. But we, but so, we're incapable of judging otherwise. <laughs> we're incapable of judging that the Jew being thrown in the oven is a good thing. Well, the Nazis sure thought so. So I'm really confused. Yeah. What do you mean by what, that? Wait a second. The the Nazis though didn't really no they didn't really think it was a good thing. That was a necessary evil to prevent some okay. other evil. So if <laughs> we were arguing with the Nazis, well, just let me finish my comment. If we were arguing sure, with sure, the Nazi sorry. right now about that about that matter, our disagreement would not be over a subjective matter. It wouldn't be over whether it's bad to put people in another. They believed that the Jews were going to cause a mass huge destruction of their society and the world which was far greater than the holocaust so what they believed was they were doing this as a necessary evil so to prevent something worse than that they did not there is no culture that i know of in the history of humanity that widely believed that it was cool to kill people in fact the nazis when they were out killing people their original strategy was to just go take jews and line them up and shoot them but they found out that most of that this was causing personal trauma for the soldiers out in the field. So they devised this system where they put them on trains and they all took them to this camp and then they all lined them up. And then there's just one person who drops this canister down a hole. That one person is the only person who ever executed anybody. They devised that system because human beings cannot do this sort of mass slaughter and get away with it emotionally. They can't, they're not the same when they do it.
right. Looks like we're getting right. a little bit of. Over oh, sorry. Go ahead. It's all right. If we disagree with a Nazi over that, we would be arguing about not whether it's good to kill people. We would be arguing about whether uh, whether the Jews are going to take over the world and, make, and destroy it. Uh, whether whether or not. Okay, but do you uh, think that's relevant? You know, I mean, do you think that's yeah, relevant? Was right? it like, relevant so, that the Jews are going to destroy the destroy yeah, the world? Yeah, yeah, and and if, as far and, as and, pushing them, throwing them in an oven. If I believed yeah. that there was, if I believed sincerely that there was a race of people that were going to totally destroy the world and make it a total uh, disaster for everyone forever, uh, yeah, I think that would that would alter the moral consequence of whether I'm going to murder them or not. Okay, but the, the reason way, I ask murder, is because it's a Go ahead. But why the way murder and, and you've, you've made a lot of statements about murder uh, that the statement murder is wrong as a tautology because the, the word murder implies that you disagree with it. Okay. Well, when it's I say statement killing, I, I mean the unjustified killing of it. When I say murder, I mean the unjustified killing of it. Right. But you say murder a lot of times and then you ask me to agree when, with it. I can't really. It's like mur, mur, murder means wrongful killing. So say murder is wrong means uh, wrongful killing is wrongful and it's just a tautology. It's not really you know, describing anything. Yeah, but it's more helpful than saying killing, you know, killing when you. But I understand not. what you mean. Homicide. I understand. So, 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 but, but yeah, we'll stay on topic. So it's funny to me because when I asked you, uh, you know, whether you would do it, you did some kind of moral calculus, right? You made a judgment where you said, well, the value of society is probably greater than the value of this group of people. And so therefore, yada, yada, yada. But I'm really confused about how you could do any of those things. What? Um, I don't know. I don't. What, I don't. What, how, have really I, have I gone wrong? You're being very creative and paraphrasing me there. Um, I said the overall, a lot more. You said that if you believe like the a, premises that the Nazis probably, believed, then you would believe you were doing the right thing, right? Right. So you're probably phrasing my, me my point is, I'd say that. The, when my, you say that, 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 okay. When go ahead. I, I, I don't want to be interrupting, so just go ahead. Okay, I appreciate it. Um, the point that I'm trying to make. <laughs> is that putting a Jew in an oven is either right or it's wrong. And when you're thinking about whether you want to do it, you don't think about your tastes. You think about truth claims. You think about things such as, well, it would be worse if the world was X, Y, Z. And so therefore this appropriate action would be justified. Like you've got all these reasons, you've got beliefs, you've got so many things that are entailed here that are a whole lot different than just vanilla versus ice cream excuse me, vanilla versus okay. chocolate. Right. And you're not disagreeing with me and you're not saying anything that I have, that I haven't already stated. Okay. In some moral judgments, there are truth or uh, objective warrants. And that particular one has an objective warrant. The objective warrant would be the role will be destroyed if we let Jews live. The but but you don't believe that there's warrant, such a thing as an objective warrant. I, I'm you, you think that all moral no, claims are yeah, expressions of preference. Say, say it again. Repeat you that. believe that all moral claims are expressions of uh, of, of opinion. They're, they're expressions of, of preference, like, like vanilla versus ice cream. Excuse me, I said it again. Vanilla versus chocolate. But then whenever you, you go to evaluate some kind of moral conundrum, you use reasons. Like you, you, let me go back to, to describe. my, let me go back, let me go. I'm going to my, I'm going to my opening and I'm reading to you exactly what I've said, I said on this initially. <clears throat> Um, I assert in, that in every way, shape, and form, the phenomena of moral thought 
resemble characteristically the phenomenon of aesthetics. In other words, moral judgments depend, though not entirely, upon human value standards of what some would call subjective preferences. They also depend upon truth warrants. But this is something I will explain in time. That's okay. in my interest, right? Okay, but then when you went the, on to explain it, what you said was okay. there are certain judgments that we can't doubt. And when you said that, you weren't really talking about judgments and you weren't really talking about epistemic doubting, like, like I don't know what, what I know. Really what you meant is there are certain preferences that you just can't have. Yes. But my, res but my response to that is that even if you can't have a preference one way or another about, say, preferring sandwiches over sewage, that doesn't mean that there's a real moral distinction between sewage or sandwiches. And what we're trying to get sewage at in explaining our moral, moral experience. Okay, sewage well, and sandwiches th that's my point. Okay, Benjamin, that's my point. My point is, is that there is no such thing as a moral matter. There is no such thing as a moral matter on your view because everything moral is just matters, a preference. Moral matters deal with with the, the uh, deciphering or the... Uh, the conflict between personal and extra-personal interests. Eating sewage versus eating uh, a sandwich is an entirely personal interest, so it's a non-moral matter. Uh, it's, it's not making any kind of right. value judgment to say that but, something but, is a moral but eating, matter. Eating a human being, as opposed to eating, a, eating beef or something like that, is a moral matter. Yeah, but because I have an extra view, there's no interest. distinction. I, 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 I don't know. Every time I have this debate with somebody, they just don't listen to me. It's because it's, you're smuggling it's in. An interest. I have an interest in not wanting other human beings to be eaten. Okay, there we I go. I mean, I don't know how hard that okay. is to explain. So, so, so then, so then, okay, this is this is why no one listens. It's because it's it's because once once you drill down on this, then you admit your real view, which is something along the lines of, well. I wouldn't want that. And so therefore, um, and, and I wouldn't want to live in a society or, 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 or you, you go on to something else to try to smuggle in how to make sense of normativity, which is, which is ought claims like moral obligations and, and moral facts and, and things like this. But if you are going to be consistent on your view, then what that means is that there is no distinction between eating a baby and eating broccoli, except for the physiobiological or social responses to such a thing. I'm incapable of liking the idea of eating a baby. I'm capable of liking the idea of eating broccoli. That's the distinction. How hard okay. is that? But that's not a very good crack? distinction because, because then sure when it is, I because I'm counter examples. Okay. But, 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 but you are capable. All right. Because Nazis did do things that you disagree with. All right. So, it's so you say things like, well, I'm not, not you, Okay, hold on, hold on. I'm I just, just going to go ahead and finish this. Go ahead. No, what you, what you said was, well, if I was a Nazi and I had those beliefs, then I would also do those moral actions, all right? And so mm -hmm. there's this equivocation that you're using where when you talk about, say, babies and, and broccoli, you say, well, I can't doubt that there is some kind of moral impetus here, that there's some kind of moral distinction between children and, and, and other sorts of food. But what I'm saying is, is that in the same breath, you'll say something like, well, there is no difference between uh, a, a human being killing another human being and a, and a lion killing a zebra. And, and, and what I'm saying is, okay. is that you, you, you've mixed up 
something in there to where to where you're using moral language one, at one time, but then you're not in 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 the other time. You grasp that the human mind, okay? You grasp that the human mind has several processes involved in how human minds work. It's not just one or two. We, you know, usually uh, precepts. And I'm not calling you a precept. They hold to this radical cognitive theory. Everything's about beliefs. Everything's about, about this and causes that and causes this belief and causes this belief. Okay, moral thought is subject to several mental processes. One of those processes would in, would involve truth, and one of it's in some assertions it does. And one of those processes would involve subjective value warrants that are ruled by an impetus. Okay, where's the truth? Control. Where's the truth? Where's the truth? The truth assertion involved in it's okay to slaughter Jews will destroy the world if we do not. That is the truth okay, assertion. So, the value okay. judgment. Is that false or is it true? Slaughter people. It is false. Okay. If there's such a thing as true and false moral beliefs, that's not then a, my position is true. <laughs> it's, it's not, not a moral belief, but it's not a moral belief, but it's used as a warrant in a argument about whether okay, or but not when you say it's warrant, okay to you kill. But when I asked you what a warrant was, you said it's a reason. No, I, I don't know if I said that, but if I said that, I'm I'm, I'm saying it's 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 part of an argument, part of okay. a claim. Yes. Well, arguments use use reasons they use propositions they use facts they use right uh, reason and, they and use, so what i'm saying and is they use subjective warrants and subjective value judgments also we should go get a pizza because no 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 you're making a category error here because as you will then yeah, say if i, I if, you, if i say this you're gonna say well but there's no there's nothing moral about getting a pizza or not getting a pizza and i'm gonna say yeah obviously i i agree with you and then i'm gonna say but there right, are because, certain moral because facts getting a pizza no you're, I'm saying that that any, anything kind of subjective element can be put into an argument too. I mean, you could say say that um, I should okay, we should call okay. It would cost X amount of dollars to have the plumbing fixed in the house. Okay. Okay, but it the is, should is a course, very different a sort of should. Could I finish my point? It is a subjective value judgment to say you should have working plumbing. It is not a truth assertion that you should have working plumbing or that you should be able to drink clean water. But it is a, a truth assertion that, that having the plumbing would cost less money than um, some other way you would fix it. So there's a subjective matter, the subjective matter being I want to drink clean water. So then to moral judgments, it's, it's true of all aesthetics. Aesthetics are used in all kinds assertions about you know we should get the pizza we say that so we so should if there's a difference if there's a difference between we should but we say these things we should uh go see the concert i mean that's if not there's unique a okay in the fact that we speak of it that way benjamin benjamin this is what you've missed man what you've missed is that I'm there's a difference between i think i am there's a difference between no, you're not. what 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 <laughs> yeah, you're, you are. You're, you're, okay. you're, you're a bit far from understanding. What you're, what you're missing is that there's a difference in the, in the term ought. Right? When you say, I, we should get a pizza, you're saying right. something different. You're using the word should differently than if you say things like, we should not steal. Yep. Right? When I say and we should get a pizza, And in one of them, there's a moral truth right. value. 
And in one of them, you're expressing a preference. Right. Well, now you're just assuming that moral is true. I mean, you haven't established this at all. No, but, because when I asked you whether Nazis say, were justified, you said no. Explain, can I just say, okay. When I say we should, when we say we should get the pizza, what we mean is that we would agree that we would like pizza. Yeah. And when we say we shouldn't kill people, I'm saying we are saying we both agree that killing people is the same thing. There's nothing inconsistent there. We're using the word. Yeah. The same so, way. so I Just understand. We both agree with that assertion. We would both agree with the result. Okay. I understand that that was a true expression of your view, but what I'm saying is, is that when you're arguing with me, you make, you're, you're making an equivocation between the words should, because if I say something like humans ought not kill other humans, but, but zebra, but, but, but lions can't kill zebras, you make an equivocation on that point. And what I'm trying to say is that there's a distinction. And so as soon as I go down the line of, well, Hey, uh, human beings shouldn't kill each other and here are the reasons you say well yeah i i, I agree and, and there's a truth value there but then if we talk about something that doesn't have truth value you're, you're going to go ahead and say well no there's no truth value here there's just there's just preference there's just statement and so whenever i go down one avenue or another one uh you're going to hop on whichever definition or use of the word that you want in order to try to avoid uh the argument that I'm trying to push, which is that there's a distinction between putting a Jew in an oven and pizza in an oven. Because when I say that, you say, well, yeah, I there really, is a distinction. I really hope you rewatch this after it's over and a little slower. Right up to, to listen to my comments a little slower than you are. Okay. I am not hopping at all. I've been totally consistent. Some moral judgments involve truth assertions. Some don't. Uh, but at the root of them all is some subjective preference. I've said that over and over again. That's my position. And sometimes when we dis disagree about a, a moral uh, prescription of some kind, we're disagreeing about the truth of, of part of that. We're not disagreeing about the subjective part. And I, I say that over and over again. I don't, I don't know okay. why that's whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, but right there, right there, right there. You say, but we're not disagreeing about the objective part. Right? We're not disagreeing about the subjective part. No, we're not usually disagreeing about the subjective part. Not usually. Yeah. If we disagree about the subjective so then, part, there'd be nothing to say. But we agree on something. And what I'm saying that we agree on is a true moral claim that is, you, you're using the word incontrovertible. But what I'm saying is, it's not incontrovertible because people violate it and people disagree. And you can have arguments well, about it, true five or minutes false. Left. And, honestly, and honestly, we have five minutes left. And you have said nothing to support the idea that moral statements are rooted in some truth. It, nothing at all. You've just asserted that over and over and over again. They're true. Because they're truth. They're truth. You just say because it. I mean, first, you, you because first, because with a non-cognitivist, because with a non-cognitivist, you have to first demonstrate that there's a that, that that you're not making a category error. And what we keep getting hung up on is this category error. Because you say that 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 truth, you say that moral statements are chocolate versus vanilla. But then as soon as I push on, okay, therefore there's no truth value here. You say, well, there is some truth value because you're making judgments that you can't. Uh, refute. You, you can't question your own standard of value. And what I'm saying is, watch my you do intro. question your standard of value. And so if you do question your standard watch of value, Chocolate sorry, you, you cut up. So is, is a fine preference. 
Buying preferences tend, tend to be uh, different from person to person, from culture to culture. Blunt preferences would be like chocolate vanilla, chocolate ice cream versus eating sewage. If you want to compare a judgment like murder is terrible, you have to compare it to a blunt preference like chocolate versus sewage. Not chocolate okay. versus that has a fine. No, 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 no. See, that exactly is where you're wrong. All right. Because sewage versus vanilla, there's no truth value there. All right. But no, but murder there isn't. Is, but murder is wrong. But when you say murder is wrong, you're talking about murder. And this is why this is why we just keep going oh. in circles and circles. Because because when you say that that's exactly where the ambiguity is, is because when you say I prefer vanilla over sewage, there's no truth <laughs> value to it, except for your own psychological states. But when you say that murder is wrong, you say, well, there is a component that's true. And that component that is true is, sorry, no, I, I'm, I you, you're breaking said, up a whole lot. And so I just kept talking. I don't mean to interrupt, uh, but uh, it, it- I have never said um, that there's a truth in murder is wrong. What you said is that there's an impetus that you can't deny. I Yes, there's an impetus that you can add, and there's an impetus I can't deny when it comes to eating raw sewage. Okay, all right. I cannot right. deny that I, I have an aversion but that's to eating but, the, but Okay, all right, but that's exactly what you're missing, okay? Because when you say something that you can't deny, I'm going to go ahead and say something like, well, well, if you can't deny it, okay, let me, let me put it this way. You, you can't deny things that aren't, that don't have truth value, right? Denial is something you do to truth claims. You don't deny that, that, that chocolate is the true ice cream, right? That, that, it's, it's, it's nonsensical. Right? So, so even the word denial, even the word denial implies that there's a truth value. Are, are you telling me that chocolate is tasty is a true No, no, Benjamin. That's exactly my point. Is you're equivocating on chocolate is tasty. Acting like it's a truth assertion. Chocolate you versus treat sewage. Chocolate. Okay, we, we keep going in and out, so you guys are you're, you guys are cutting each other off as far because we're we're having a delay in the internet. So, um, Don, uh, Benjamin, go ahead and say what you're you were saying, and then uninterrupted, and then Mark, go ahead and respond to Benjamin. Thanks. Okay, I, I'd like to to just spend a uh, you know, you know, I spent almost challenge which is fine um I, I like to do a little challenging myself i have left but um if, if you're saying that anything basically all conscious decisions are intrinsically motivated you're taking position that god created uh, morality and then following what he tells us to do would be um would be morality but following a commandment is not morality it's a, a non-moral situation because when you're following a commandment you're doing it entirely for your own personal interests and morality differentiates the intrinsic interests for personal interests versus uh extra personal interests so how is how is following what god do uh a morality wow there's a lot there so first of all um i i I wouldn't necessarily subscribe to a, uh, I, I think that a divine command theory is true of obligations, but it's not true of moral facts. Uh, but really your objection is, hey, if you follow uh, God's morality because you, you know, just want to obey God, then is that really moral? 
But in the question itself, you're smuggling in the question of if you were to obey God for some external reason, then that would be immoral, right? But no, but, but non-moral. I said the word non-moral. There's a difference between immoral and non-moral. It is a non-moral matter to do something with uh, motivations. So for instance, if I if you do something to seek some kind of reward for yourself, that would be a non-moral matter. Brushing your teeth is a non-moral matter because you do it for your own personal uh, interests, whereas a moral matter has to do with the uh, differentiation of the conflict between personal interests and extra personal interests. You do something because God tells you to do it. You're doing it to try to build your own relationship with God or to seek his favor. And so that is an extrinsic motivation. So it is a non-moral matter. So I'm assuming for the sake of my discussion that there's a God and God has commanded me to do X, Y, and Z. If I do X, Y, and Z, that would have nothing to do with morality. I would do those things because God commanded me to do. I want to seek his favor. Uh, so I don't see how a God makes anything objectively moral. All right, Mark, well, go ahead and respond. If, go, Mark, go ahead and respond to that, and then I will conclude the uh, the open discussion. Okay, thanks. Well, I just disagree that it's not um, a moral question. I think if God did command things, then we would have moral obligations to obey them in the same way that when a Why? parent commands things, in the same way that if a parent commands things, you have a moral obligation to obey your parents. Now, the reason that this breaks down for you, Benjamin, is because you don't believe in moral, right? So you think that, that the moral devolves into the non-moral which is why when you made a distinction just then between the non-moral and the moral, um, you, it, 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 it breaks down. Because then when you talk about moral, moral. you talk about preferences. And, uh, and then preferences can be moral. You can have a moral preference. You can have an immoral preference. It's, it's, the entire thing's a category error, and, and I wish that we were more productive in our conversation a moral about it. Matter, but, uh, okay. A moral matter is one that where we decipher between personal interests and extra personal interests. Doing what a God tells you to do is always going to have a personal interest behind it. Doing what your parents tell you to do is going to have a personal interest behind it. You benefit from doing what your parents tell you to do. You benefit from doing what God tells you to do. God, and I'm assuming there's a God for the sake of this discussion. God tells me that I should not commit adultery. I don't commit adultery. I probably wouldn't if I knew there was a God. He told me not to do it. Damn well, I wouldn't do it. Um, and you I would do that do it because it was the wrong thing to do. No, I wouldn't right? do because it because the God would might punish me or not like me if I don't do it. Right. Just like you know, right. just like you don't do things certain things because you think God won't like you or or He won't favor you or something like that. So that it, so you're only acting in your own personal interests. There's no extra personal motivation involved there. So but on the picture that you just described, it's a non-moral situation. It's just like brushing your teeth. It's not it's on the not picture you just described. On the picture you just described, there there aren't any moral questions. I mean, there's only brushing no, your I teeth or not brushing your teeth. Position. God damn. All right, all right, guys. We'll we'll go ahead and uh, conclude this portion of this debate. Thank you, guys. Uh, pretty good discussion. So uh, right now we'll transition to our closing remarks, and then we'll go to Q and A. So everyone out there, uh, as they're closing, make sure you get those questions in, so we can uh, get these questions to uh, Mark and, and Benjamin. So that's it, Mark. You're up for your five minute closing. Thanks, Marlon. Um, so. <laughs> it's hard to recap that kind of a conversation because uh, I think that there were a lot of details that kind of got lost. Um, but the point that I'm trying to make is that 
moral statements, statements like we ought not to burn Jews in an oven uh, are different than statements like we ought to get pizza tonight because pizza sounds good. Um, and if there's a real distinction between those kinds of things where, you know, ought to get pizza is just kind of a preference statement while ought not to burn Jews is kind of a, a moral statement, then the position that I'm trying to defend is to say that uh, the, the, the burning Jews or not burning Jews is, is either moral or it's immoral. And if there's a real distinction between uh, that kind of a thing, it's not just because that we have certain impetuses that, that, uh, that, that we can't not doubt it, that, that, uh, that, that all of us subjectively have this, this hard wire to act a certain way, because you can have a hard wire to act a certain way, but that doesn't make it moral or immoral. And what we experience in the moral realm is that there are some things that would be wrong. As a matter of fact, we'd say that if we were hardwired differently, that would be immoral. If we were hardwired to, uh, to kill people and eat our children and, and those kinds of things, that would be an immoral way to behave, even if you were hardwired to do it. Now, obviously, there might be some uh, you know, conundrums with like, well, if you're hardwired to do it, can you not, not do it? I'm trying to lay free will questions aside. My point is, is that if there's a category of morality, and if there are statements that can be made that are true or false about, uh, about moral things, then it stands to reason that our moral experience can be made sense of, and that there are certain things that are required, not just prudent or wise or, or, or preferable, but that it doesn't matter what your opinion is on, on X, Y, or Z. Um, you're required to behave in certain ways. We have moral obligations. That's what the, what the word obligation means. Um, morality is, is binary. Right. It's 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 either true or false. Either you should do it or you shouldn't do it. Uh, and once you know what you should do, um, it's not really debatable. It's also binding in the sense that you can be held accountable for it. Uh, and 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 when you act a certain way, uh, people judge you based on your actions, not because, you know, uh, uh, well, you belched at the dinner table and you really shouldn't have. Um, but. It's more than that. It's more than just societal or, or personal preference. It's, it's, it, there's an aspect of that morality that we discover to be uh, sincerely binding, where it doesn't matter what uh, culture you're from, what your, what your personal preferences are. Um, you as a human being are obligated to behave in certain ways, regardless of your background or preferences or ideas. And then the last thing is that it's personal. Um, moral obligation is personal in a way that, uh, that non-moral obligations isn't. And so, uh, and what, what I mean by this is that it relates to persons. And so a, uh, uh, a lion killing a zebra uh, is not immoral. This is a non-moral uh, act. But a human being killing another human being is a moral act. Uh, now, maybe it's a justified act, in which case it was a moral act, or maybe it's an unjustified act, in case it's an immoral act. But the point that I've been trying to make this entire time uh, is that if there is a distinction between moral and non-moral acts, then, then moral truths can be, they can be true, they can be false, but they're real. And if they're real and they're categorically binding and they're universal and they're impartial, uh, then, and, and, and this is the way that we experience the moral realm, then we're justified in believing certain things based on our intuition, based on our reason, uh, based on the self-evidence of certain moral claims. And the best explanation for why human beings are different than animals uh, is not our evolutionary upbringing. You could even grant evolution, right? Many atheists are moral realists, and they would grant uh, evolution, and 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 they'd say, but they, but 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 human beings, there there are certain moral standards that are brute facts, and our moral experience and intuition uh, give us evidence of this realism. We we experience it in the world just like we experience our regular everyday sense perceptions, and so we know moral laws. Uh, a priori, and we, and we recognize them in the world. 
And uh, unfortunately, the, the piece that we never got to get to, and uh, perhaps it's for the best, but uh, we never got to get to um, why the best explanation of that moral reality is uh, the existence of, of, of God. Um, and the reason we never got there is, is, I mean, it's okay that we didn't get there because the truth is, is that we had a more fundamental disagreement, which was whether morality as a category exists other than preferences. And I regret that we couldn't clarify that and uh, really dig down uh, better. But, uh, but I mean, debates are hard, thinking's hard, um, listening's hard, and, uh, and, and using language well is hard. So, um, you know, the, the conversation is what it is. Uh, I, I, I would have to re-listen re to it to uh, determine whether this has been worth your time. But, uh, but I, I appreciate, uh, I, I, I appreciate uh, those who have stuck around, those who have listened, and um, I hope that we can finish out strong. All right, cool. Thank you, Mark, for that uh, closing remarks there. And now, Benjamin, you're up for your five-minute closing. Let me know you're ready, and I'll start your time. I'm ready. All right, you got it for five minutes. I don't think my opponent has said anything whatsoever that supports the idea that morality is objective or that it is rooted in entirely objective matters, that the statement murder is wrong is like the statement seven times 10 equals 70. There's not a single thing he said. He just keeps asserting it over and over again. Uh, and he's tried, I think he's been a lot more interested in trying to trip me up than he is in trying to understand my position. And that's resulted in a very confusing discussion where he's just tried to, oh, you're committing this. You know, I'm, I'm not. I haven't committed any kind of contradiction whatsoever. As we come down to it, um, and, and I, my contemporaries and I talk about this all the time, and any kind of debate about morality, the real objection comes down to the fact that people who believe in a um, an objective morality or an objective standard just find the idea that our moral statements are ultimately rooted in intrinsic uh, sympathy, that we're in, in an intrinsic trait of sympathy that we're incapable of second guessing. They find that troublesome. They find that bothersome. They prefer to live in a world where we can appeal to some, when we're making a moral statement, we're actually, uh, like we treat it, appealing to some objective thing. Uh, and I don't doubt that we treat it that way, but the reason we treat it that way is because we are have an incapability of second guessing our trait of sympathy which is hardwired into the human mind just like our trait of not wanting to eat sewage is hardwired in the human mind or not wanting to uh, be impaled on a stake is hardwired with the human mind now some criticisms that i didn't get to because i didn't really get to any really criticisms of his positions hopefully i can get them in really quick it is impossible to even to define the words right, wrong, good or bad in objective sense. So I have no idea what he's even talking about when he talks about morality. If you try to give an operational definition of right, wrong, or good or bad, you can't even provide one. An operational definition would inform us about the nature and characteristics of an unfamiliar concept. Operational uh, definition can't contain a synonym, antonym, or merely state or category of things. There's no way to define these terms, good, bad, evil, right, wrong, in an objective sense. Evil means good means bad. That makes sense. But how do well, how do I define good? Well, you know, give me a, a definition of good that doesn't uh, you know, say well, good means right. Well, right means good, and that's all you're going to find. You can't really provide an operational definition. So when he's talking about right and wrong, 
And he's saying he has some kind of intrinsic, uh, sorry, sorry, some inborn grasp of this provided by a God. I, I don't see how that's possible where he doesn't even, can't even provide a definition of the word right that is, has an objective meaning. Um, saying right conforms to the will of God is not defining anything since the characteristics of any created thing would conform to the will of God. One would not define a cow by saying its characteristics are determined by God. Obviously, we would say quite a bit more than that. We'd say a cow has horns, a cow provides milk, you know, all the, the cow has, you know, this kind of fur on its body. It's not providing a definition, but saying saying uh, saying God uh, provides a definition of reality is not saying providing a definition. It's just saying where the definition can be found. One would think if we were endowed at birth with a knowledge of an objective truth, that we could at the very least define what it is. While some truth assertions are more accurately describe reality in others, no truth assertion is more intensely true than another. Eight times 50 equals 400 is not more true than seven minus two equals five. The rock is on the beach, if true, would not be more true than my foot is in the shoe. Moral judgments with their varying degrees of intensity have results. So the baby's throat is judged, it's probably more intensely wrong than leaving gum on a bench or going to recycle. Like all matters, this makes more judgments some more to aesthetic judgments. Sewage smells worse than all this blue. This movie was good, but not as good as Braveheart. So if you, if you try to say that as a assertion, I, I don't really see how you, how you can how you can kind of visualize the idea that moral judgments, some are more intense than other ones. If we're calling moral matters entirely true, we're saying they're entirely true. Humans have no interest in moral math. So, so for instance, uh, I could challenge you and say, guess what? You know, it, it turns out that you have uh, 758 years of vacuum instead of 500. No, it wouldn't shock you because you have no interest. It's an entirely trivial matter. So if you're saying the, the sheer fact that we are interested in moral matters reveals that we have an intrinsic inborn uh, judgment about it that it that isn't external to ourselves, it's internal to ourselves. If that judgment didn't exist, we wouldn't care. In the All back right. of your hand. Ben All right, Benjamin, that's time right there. All right, guys, All right. good stuff. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate the closing remarks. So now we're going to transition to some Q and A. Man, this is always fun. Hear what the audience is talking about. So. Uh, with the Q&A, let's make sure we allow the person to answer the question uninterrupted. Uh, both parties will get one minute. Up for one minute, you guys will be able to respond to the questions uh, uninterrupted. Um, so starting off, this question is for you, Ben. All I right. Uh, yeah, I read it. I read it out. Um, let me see. It says for Ben, where do you draw the line between morality and objective truth? If they are compatible, how do you know your moral truth claims is true when it's based on subjective humans? I don't claim they're true. I claim that my moral uh, claims are, are value judgments. Value judgment it is a distinct type of assertion than a truth assertion. It, just as a question is a distinct type of assertion or statement than a command is. Value judgments are grammatically written similar, but they're actually a different type of statement. 
the murder is wrong is a different type of statement than uh, I have five fingers. Uh, it is a type of different type of statement than go clean your room, which is a command. So I, I don't, they're not, I don't think that they're truth claims. I think that they're all, that we follow them because we have no choice in the matter. That, that, it, that they're rooted in an intrinsic, unconscious, involuntary impetus that we're incapable of second guessing. And that's why we treat them as truth assertions, but they're not truth assertions. All right, uh, Mark. So one of the root disagreements that Benjamin and I have is that it, it seems to me like Benjamin is unable to distinguish between um, arguing about psychological states, like I prefer this or I prefer that, which is what you're talking about you, and statements about reality, right? So when you say murder is wrong, you're talking about reality. Now, maybe you're also saying that that's your, you know, that, that you believe it, but, but that's, that's a different statement. Saying I believe that murder is wrong is different than saying that murder is wrong. And so, you know, where do you draw the line between morality and objective truth? Well, I'd say that, that if it's a truly moral question, then there's going to be a truth value to it. Uh, but not all, you know, statements that sound like moral questions are really uh, moral. So, for example, you can use the word ought in a non-moral sense. Like, we ought to get a pizza. Like, oh, we should get a pizza tonight. Um, that, uh, that's a different kind of use of the word ought. And so I would certainly draw the line uh, there. And I don't think they're compatible. I don't think you can have... Uh, a, one question be both moral or have a moral component and a non-moral component at the same time in the same way. I think that's a contradiction. All right. And here's a question for you, Mark. And it says a married bachelor is an example of breaking the law of, of law of contradiction and a married man behaving like a bachelor violates the moral law of God is violating morality illogical. Uh, no. So there are different kinds of laws, right? So there are laws of logic, uh, there are laws of physics, uh, there are moral laws. And a moral law is a certain kind of, of, of thing that, that governs uh, normative behavior. And when we say normative as philosophers, we mean uh, the way things ought to go. Uh, that's, that's what, morale, that's, that's what uh, normative ethics is, 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 is a question of how ought people behave. And so uh, a married bachelor uh, is, is a contradiction in, in the law of logic, which means that it cannot exist in the real world. But a violation of the law of, uh, of the moral law would be similar to the violation of the law of gravity, where I violate the law of gravity every time I sit, you know, sit up in my chair or, or stand up to go do something. Uh, so different kinds of laws have different kinds of violations in virtue of the kind of thing that it is. All right. Uh, Benjamin? Is violating morality illogical? I don't. I I don't know how you know. There's no universal morality. I don't believe that in such a thing. So I don't know how you know violate it. You know, you're going well, to close enough, right? You, you follow, think we have incontrovertible and, ideas? Let's yeah, we have incontrovertible ideas that are ingrained in my mind. So I have incontrovertible ideas that are ingrained in my mind. You have incontrovertible ideas that are greater in your mind. They're usually very similar. But, you know, they probably resemble each other a lot, but they are distinct. We have my mind and you have your mind. And but usually we'll agree on most moral, most blunt moral judgments like, uh, you know, sexual assault and, and rape and things. But we'll disagree about what's called etiquette and etiquette are fine moral judgments, like whether or not it's OK to burp at the dinner table or something like that. Those are moral judgments too, because they deal, deal, still deal with extra, per, extra personal interests and in making other people comfortable. 
you know, what is the difference between between etiquette and morality? There really is no difference. One is just less intense than the other. All right. And here's a question for you, Ben. If moral claims are mere aesthetic claims, what when what when what would you say what would you say about an issue such as racism? Most humans used to be racist. How would one argue against slavery? Slavery causes suffering. And the argue and if I were arguing with a slave master from the you know the eighteen hundreds, our argument would revolve around truth assertions. It wouldn't revolve around uh subjective warrants regarding i don't know why you're giggling you just don't listen <laughs> okay our argument would revolve around the truth assertion that the slave is not born or the black person if he's you know he's a black slave was not born to be put in the field and hit with a whip he believes he's born to, to be that way he's he believes that that person has uh inborn characteristics and, and that he can't uh that make him preordained or, or made to be in that position. I don't believe that. I believe that he that that person has the same uh, uh, same qualities and characteristics that a white person might have. So our disagreement would be over a truth assertion. But our disagreement would not be over whether it's bad to whip people. He thinks it's okay to whip them because as a necessary good because otherwise that black person is going to starve to death because he needs a master. So right. um, the question, what do I say to him? That we could have a, a viable disagreement about that matter because our disagreement with the slave master would be over that truth point. It wouldn't be over the subjective uh, matter. All right, Mark, what are your thoughts? I, I'm amazed, honestly. I'm amazed. It would be over the truth value. What? No, 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 no. This this questioner is, is has honestly pointed this out better than I think I have. The only way that Benjamin's going to be able to respond to slavery is with an aesthetic judgment. He has to say something like, "Well, I don't like that. That's an ugly picture. Suffering uh, rubs me the wrong way." That's the kind of thing he has to say because he doesn't believe in normative claims. He doesn't say he doesn't believe that that it's really true that slavery is wrong. He believes that suffering is against my impetuses it's against uh the, the incontrovertible views that I, I cannot resist but if you wanted to make an argument against slavery he'd have to make an aesthetic one he'd have to say that this is not beautiful in my mind's eye and i i don't think you'd be able to argue against slavery at all so perceptive question all right next question for you ben suppose a psychopath enjoys raping a child and he has the opportunity to get away with it if morality is just a preference, why should he do it? Well, I would be against him doing it. You know, why should he do it? It's just a misspoken thing. It's just a, a way a misspoken sentence. I'm against him doing it, and I have no ability to second guess that judgment. How do I? How do I? But there wouldn't be any psychopath not to do it. How do I convince the psychopath not to do it? You can't. And, and, that, and that's a fact in prisons all across the country. If my opponent's view were correct, then there would be no psychopaths. We could just set them aside and teach them to be moral. But they don't have any kind of, but they don't have sympathy for other people. You can't. All right, Mark. So I think you could teach a psychopath uh, to not uh, do that in the same way that you teach a child, right? Because uh, what we do with children is we, we, is we try to persuade them 
that morality is something that they should abide by. And, and, and I don't think that, that uh, moral statements are inherently motivating in the sense that you can say, this is the right thing to do, uh, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, interestingly, on non-cognitivism, which is Benjamin's view, uh, as A.J. Ayer lays out, uh, that's actually impossible. But you have to be motivated uh, by moral statements if you're a non-cognitivist, because a statement like, you shouldn't do that, is just the statement, boo, on that. And so interestingly, one of the arguments against non-cognitivism is to be able to make a distinction between saying, I see that that's the right thing to do, but I'm not going to do that. And that's actually impossible on non-cognitivism. Uh, but, but on moral realism, it, it makes perfect sense. You can say something like, well, uh, it really is wrong to do that despite your twisted perceptions. And that's what you'd want to try to do with a uh, psychopath. All right. And here's another question. Ben, aid hitting you hard, Ben. Sorry about that, man. All right, so Benjamin, if there are if there are these motivations that I cannot deny, then what do we do with topics that most people don't agree on? Abortion, economics, monetary policy, war, etc. Do we just sulk and argue? <laughs> because a lot of times when it when it comes it just it has to do with varying degrees of sympathy with a lot of these issues. As I often say, uh, with conservatives that I'm talking about, uh, there's certain things. Sometimes they just don't have the same sympathy or level of sympathy that I do, and there's nothing I can do to say convince them otherwise. And we, we, uh, in re responding to the the previous comments about psychopaths, I don't think he's ever. I don't think Mark's ever met a psychopath. I've lived with one before. Not that wouldn't be relevant. But I have That's lived totally with a psychopath before. Right. You can convince them to alter their behavior by threatening a punishment, but that would be following a, a threat of a punishment would be following your own personal interest. It wouldn't be a moral matter. It would be a non-moral matter. If you're doing something because you're trying to avoid imprisonment or trying to avoid the wrath of God, that wouldn't be a moral matter. You can't really convince a psychopath not to do something because it's cruel. They don't care. There's, there's, no, there's nothing you can say to convince them. They do not have the characteristic in their mind to give a crap about anyone else's feelings whatsoever. They lack that quality. All right, Mark. Yeah, and, and that's why we have a name for them. That's why we consider them disordered in some way uh, because they don't see things the way that they really are. Um, this, so, so this question about disagreement is one that I, I <laughs> it's so funny that, that Benjamin honestly sounds like an objectivist when he talks. And so he's getting this question when then generally the, the problem of disagreement uh, falls on the realist. Like, hey, if, if moral qualities really are real, then why do people disagree on them? And the answer simply is that people have different upbringings. They have different ideas. They, but, but, but people have different perspectives on all kinds of things, right? People have different perspectives on whether God exists or not, but certainly he either exists or he doesn't exist. Um, you know, someone's right and someone's wrong, right? On abortion, uh, the question about whether the unborn child is a human being who deserves life uh, or is entitled to life, rather. Uh, either the either the pro-lifers are right or the pro-choicers are right. But, but, but there's a real question here. And, and that's really the point of, of moral realism. Um, so that's it. All right. And this is the final question of the night. <laughs> and this question is for you, Ben. Is it right or wrong to burn people in ovens? Uh, what about the law of excluded middle? The law excludes you from saying it's rightish or wrongish. Is it right or wrong? I find it wrong. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I know. 
When we say something is right or wrong, we're just leaving out the word I find. It's a misspoken statement. All right. Mark? So um, that, <laughs> again, um, what I would really encourage uh, Benjamin to do is read some A.J. Ayer because he's a really sharp fellow. I think he's out of Ox Oxford. And, um, and, and he does a good job at differentiating. When you say that putting a Jew in an oven is wrong, you might be making one of two statements that you have to clarify, right? You might be talking about the act itself, or you might be talking about your perspective on it, your psychological processes. But if there's a distinction between those two things, then you can say that some things are true of one statement and not the other, right? So mm -hmm. there is no truth value to the question of whether I want pizza or not, right? We keep talking about pizza. Uh, it's just your preference. But there is a truth value to the question of whether it's right or wrong to, to, to put a Jew in an oven or something like that, or, or at least there could conceivably be. You'd have to make an argument for it one way or another, I suppose. But, uh, but, uh, but I think, again, the question is right on point. The, for Benjamin, he's going to have to say that there is no such thing as right and wrong. It's just a different way to express a preference, in which case there's no truth value to it. And, uh, and, and, and our moral intuitions here are deeply, deeply flawed. And I don't think most people are ready to believe that because I don't think most people think it's true. All right. Good stuff, guys. Appreciate you. This is a great discussion. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. And I do encourage you guys to go ahead and rewatch it, man. You know, if there's an argument that you feel that you weren't successful on, or if there was something that you didn't, didn't understand correctly, go watch it again, man. Maybe that's what this stuff is for, man, to barely scope out our thought process and how we articulate ourselves concerning different subject matter. And I thank you guys for coming on, man. And uh, any cozy words before I shut this thing down? Hey, I just want to say thank you to both of you. And, uh, you know, even though in any kind of conversation that really matters, you know, emotions can get in the mix. We can interrupt each other and that kind of thing. And uh, uh, and. And so I just want to say that I'm sorry for not behaving uh, as well as I might have been able to. But uh, but I, honestly, I think we both did OK. Benjamin? Um, I'm just going to apologize again to Mark and Marlon for the half an hour wait I made them sit through. I was having some kind of sort of crazy domestic problem here. My girlfriend decided tonight that she was not going to allow me to do this <laughs> just because she was wacky so i tried to go to the park to try to do this and it wouldn't work here i had to come back home and wait for her to leave to go to her mom's for two days in order to have the discussion so that's why they had to wait and they were very patient and very understanding about the whole situation even though we scheduled this months ago and uh mark has been a very nice guy to me offline and so has marlon marlon's always been very friendly to me they're both on my facebook no more oh, i said marlon's on my facebook and I, I chat with him and try to get under his skin a little bit about some of the things he says, but he's, he's always friendly about it. And, you know, he, you know, we don't debate much, but we talk a little bit and he's, he's always such a nice guy. And, and I, I hope him the best of luck on, on his, his podcast here and uh, reaching more viewers. And uh, so thank you so much for having me on, even though this was a, I had a problem tonight and made you guys wait, but uh, I had a good time. It's all good, guys. I appreciate you both, man. And obviously, I'll be reaching out to you guys once again. May not be against you two. You know, you two may not be doing it, but I certainly like to I like to mismatch, man, and, and mix it up and see what we get, man. But uh, I thank you guys, and I'm going to let you guys go. You guys take care, all right? Thanks. All right.
All right, another great debate in the books, man. First debate since coming back from paternity leave and sabbatical, man. And I thank these guys for coming on, man. You know, it's exciting, good stuff. And, you know, I got a comment here and and I'm glad somebody noticed. Uh, I like your new timer, Marlon. <laughs> Do you guys know how much time I put into all the little graphics and everything? If you guys notice the little graphics, I put a lot of time and effort. So I really am grateful and thankful for someone to notice it, man. Thank you, Reverend. Appreciate you, man. You are definitely one of those supporters who are continuously watching and viewing. And I thank you for noticing the graphics, man. Yay. I appreciate it. But yeah, uh, I thank these guys for coming on. And don't forget that I have a whole bunch of shows coming up here here in the future on the gospel truth man and don't miss out on them man because i have exciting ones man i'm still signing up stuff uh debates and interviews are happening as yeah, speaking of interviews don't forget tomorrow um, i'll be interviewing dr jason Lau about his book fractals so if you don't know what fractals are, if you're interested in seeing what it is, um, and you're interested to know a little bit about Dr. Jason Lyle's new book that just came out in July of this year, make sure that you watch tomorrow's show concerning his book called Fractals. All right. So I, I look forward to that. Make sure you hit that like and make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any shows that are coming up. Hit that notifica notification bell. Please do that so you can stay in the loop. Uh, that said, I'm going to get out of here and and I thank you guys for joining me. May God bless you. May God keep you. Go on.